Welcome to Access Control, a podcast providing practical security advice for startups. Advice from people who've been there. Each episode, we'll interview a leader in their field and learn best practices and practical tips for securing your org. For today's episode, I'll be talking to Mario Laura. Mario is a senior SRE at Carter and has been leading their move to Kubernetes and other cloud-native technologies. Carter helps companies and investors manage their cap tables, valuations, investments, and equity plans. As a user of Carter, I'm happy that their security is top-notch. Today, we'll be chatting about orchestrating Kubernetes, training team on cloud-native technologies, and optimizing for the developer experience. Hi, Mario. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much. I'm really happy to be here. I love everything that Teleport is working on and doing. I'm so glad you're a customer of Carta. Uh, we're working to make sure that uh, your shares are, are very well secured as you grow as a company. I'm so happy to be talking about uh, cloud native and security and developer experience. So many great topics we're going to touch on today. So uh, let's get started. Yeah, so to sort of kick things off, um, can you tell me a little bit about what drew you to the DevOps movement? Yeah, for sure. I, I think uh, it was definitely very organic. I think, uh, you know, starting in my career as more of a system administrator, um, you know, back in college uh, and having such a strong interest in systems uh, and how we uh, run. And at that time, it was very much focused on the, the lower level infrastructure components. And I think you, you saw, I remember learning virtual machines uh, very early. And then, you know, the the kind of change over to AWS and the cloud taking over of how workloads are run, I think, um, in that that regard, I very much was interested in containers at a, a very early point. I actually remember when Docker's first web page with a video from Solomon Hikes came up and just being in college and seeing that and, and being so fascinated by this whole thing. And, and that's actually... I decided to, instead of doubling down on the things that I was taught that were told to me that were in a book, I decided to start exploring more and more. And I'm so glad I did because I learned containerization. I learned uh, maybe the, the plight of developers and, and how the software uh, development maybe lifecycle works uh, and, and getting to that uh, that kind of nirvana of shipping things quickly uh, and all of kind of the DevOps methodologies that we kind of have come to know and love now. Those were very much something I had to learn and I, I enjoyed enjoyed that a lot more than just managing systems day to day, right? Nothing wrong with doing yeah. systems work. And I learned a lot there, but uh, I think the DevOps movement, and I've actually helped out with the DevOps days uh, in, in my locale here, Detroit, Michigan, uh, in the US. Uh, and I actually just, I think the culture it's a different sort of mentality. Instead of I just need to run my systems to do my business, uh, it's more of a how can we actually all work together um, to build a better pipeline for building, uh, running, and, and shipping software uh, and give you know our, our customers a better experience. I think that's that's what turned me on to it. And I'm so glad to have followed more of a, a route into engineering as I'm doing you know now versus just uh, maybe maybe IT or you know whatever your your traditional running systems and managing. Many computers, right? I think my my love of the cloud and all things cloud native, um, and really running resilient infrastructure uh, is is what you know with Kubernetes and, and orchestrating. I wouldn't have it any other way. Actually, I was looking on your LinkedIn profile, and it says your focus is around distributed service orientated architecture, but on bare metal and cloud platforms. Does that mean that you're currently running sort of um, does Carter run Kubernetes like the hard way, or do you use cloud providers? 
you know, throughout my career, I've done a, a bare metal. Uh, of course, I remember racking servers in my basement when I was doing, you know, startup work uh, and running Tectonic, which at that time was from Carl West and helped you provision Kubernetes clusters. It's very early days, like, you know, I, I forget 1.5, 1.8, somewhere around there of, of Kubernetes. And, and I think having that experience gives you foundational knowledge and you get this understanding of what doing it the hard way looks like. And you build on top of that with further skills. And then you understand when you go to the cloud world, you know, you know, if you look at EKS, right, uh, you don't actually have access to those control plane nodes, but you know what they're doing, you know what they can do, you know, if you need to work with AWS, you know, kind of what's going on there. So I think it's incredibly important to have the foundational pieces and, and build on top of that. I think that's what doing bare metal earlier on, you know, very much gave me and working with containers earlier on very much gave me that sense of, you know, these are this is what a life cycle looks like. This is what some of the nuanced pieces of configuration looks like. This is what you know how docker runs from a runtime perspective and uh configuration options things like that there's a lot that you don't that you don't consider and i think that there's so much when you come into this world and that you're just you go look at the kubernetes docs and there's just so much like what's a psp or a pdb or an hpa you know you've got all these pieces and i think if you just look at all of that and you try to learn it there that's going to be one of the hardest things you can do so i think it's really important to start with those fundamental pieces in terms of carta i won't get too much throughout this talk into like what we exactly do in terms of systems we use generally but we we actually are relatively cloud as we discussed it here is is how do we keep security top of mind uh, as one of our number one pieces? How do we keep that stature in a, a cloud world, right? So um, yeah, we, we're, we're pretty much, uh, I think for the most part, AWS, there's a few uh, nuanced pieces of infrastructure that do some different things. And of course, of course, the, the traditional monolith and uh, some microservices and some not so micro and things like that. So I know you said you can't go into too much detail, but I sort of wouldn't expect Carter to have too much throughputs of processing there's kind of a funding announcement, some sort of papers go in. Why use Kubernetes? Why not use another technology? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I remember when I joined Carta, I actually, you know, didn't have very much background in running a financial platform before and and worrying about that world of financial services. I, I very much come from a scale world where we have so many millions of users every uh, second and we might have certain push notifications that, you know, this is, you know, e-commerce, right? Uh, you know, we, we sign on a push notification to millions of our, our customers. There's a new drop or there's something else going on. Um, and, you know, in the scope of five minutes, you've got millions of people making requests. And so yeah, your site's kind of DDoSed for... Exactly. It's it's your own homegrown DDoS, right? Uh, it's it's your, your best, your great uh, QA. I think that's the world I come from. So there's a very different set of concerns. Uh, and, and in that world, it's scale. It's We were doing a lot with auto scaling, both of the cluster and, and of the individual workloads. There's a lot of throwing compute at the problem uh, in the short term, at least. Um, there's a lot of optimizations. You're always making optimizations and looking for the next set of things you can do. When you, you pivot over to, to the financial world, I like to think of it as you know, security is probably number one, latency, and then probably resiliency slash reliability, of course, right? Like, I think that's kind of fundamental to what an SRE is always thinking about and always trying to optimize for. Um, but I think, you know, the other side of this is there's actually periods where we don't, um, it's not that we don't care about production necessarily. We we are willing to make certain trade-offs if it, you know, impacts production for some very time-limited, you know, 
piece. Like we're, we're, we're okay doing that as long as it's managed well. And, and I think if you look at um, a production cluster in an e-commerce company that's, that's scaling massively and getting so many requests, like you don't want anything to happen that you don't, you're not scheduling, you know, maintenance uh, any time remote, you know, during, uh, during the actual day, right? You don't want to be doing that because everything is about those customers and them coming in and those services being available and you change anything. And there's the possibility that you're going to have an issue. Whereas, you know, our platforms, they're, they're, always on but there there isn't uh you know i think this is more on the carta x side of where i'm i'm at which we're building a kind of a private equity world and and we don't have a kind of a constant uh user uh need at every every given point right so i think when you log in to look at your shares i'm not talking about like the general like the general carta platform i'm talking about more of like some of the the projects and other initiatives that we're working on as we build new financial services and and, and new product offerings we we have a little bit more flexibility there with that we can focus on security latency uh, resiliency and really I don't want to say anti-fragility necessarily, but with resiliency, it's not just staying up, but it's being able to also understand what's going on with the system. And this is, and we can get into this as well, like observability and what are the best tenants there and the best dashboards and the best vis- you know, visibility uh, aspects for us as a team. Since this podcast is focusing on security, what's sort of your top concerns regarding security? Yeah, of course, there's always your standard perimeter security. Uh, and, and of course, we're doing you know everything we can there. That's, uh, that's something that most of us have a decent understanding of. I actually come from the DDoS world. I, I worked at Arbor Networks, which is a DDoS mitigation company. And, and I think that's helped me understand the network layer really, really well and what it looks like from a ingress, from a WAN perspective uh, of the, the wider internet traffic. So, you know, uh, you know we're doing everything that you know, your, your general hardening, hardening in that world. Um, I think one of the big things that we're starting to think about is security in the context of the systems that we use. And and primarily, of course, that's Kubernetes. And so we're starting to think of like, what are the pieces that we need to worry about as a team where we actually need to expend our effort to build or install or manage uh, security solutions for our Kubernetes environments? What are the things that we get by default from our cloud platform? And, you know, what are the other pieces? What are our blind spots, right? Being cognizant of the areas that uh, you're not very well, well off in understanding and bringing in the talent to, to handle those for you, help you, you one up in those, those certain areas is huge. And so we're trying to be cognizant of, of that in all of those different planes and make sure that we're, we're very well-rounded. And I think, you know, this is kind of coming into it like teleport and what you, teleport's offering, right? Like I have been solving for access uh, almost my entire career, and I actually, you know, worked doing a startup for a short time, uh, building kind of a, a cloud-based uh, network uh, VPN solution. Mm-hmm. And this is when Beyond Corp and some of the other solutions from Google and Papers, et cetera, were coming out talking about zero trust and inching into what it looked like to, you know, least privilege uh, and other concepts, right, that we were building on top of. And I think Teleport is doing uh, one of the the best jobs I've seen in being able to offer the flexibility and the feature set all under this zero trust, uh, completely unified uh, SSO enabled pattern, if you will. And I think that's when we talk about scaling, right? We're, I mean, we're hiring left and right. Please go to our, our jobs page. We, we're looking for you know every type of role. Um, we look at that, you know, we need to be able to onboard people relatively quickly and have some assurance that they're going to be able to access only the systems we intend them to access. 
and they're going to be able to do it securely in terms of transport wherever they're at, whether they're working at home or they're working abroad. Like that, that is something that we need to get inherently right. And the we could we'd have our own team on on all of that if we wanted to, not just infosec, but like an access team, yeah. right? Like that that could be a whole thing. And I think with teleport, we really we don't need that. And and of course there are other solutions, and we've looked at and and played around with other solutions for for a myriad of you know application access or database access, Kubernetes access, right? But I think teleport makes it relatively so easy and also uh, being in finance you know some of the, the finra or sec and, and other requirements SOC 2 that we have auditability right the repeatability of, of playing back sessions and understanding exactly what was happening at any given moment is incredibly critical teleport itself you know we help customers sort of access their infrastructure in many ways this is sort of an anti-pattern in sort of like modern devops people getting root to machines or mm-hmm. using even using like kubectl locally is sort of like an anti-pattern what happens when your engineers get access to these machines and what do you let them do on these hosts yeah great question um you know i talk about least privilege but in reality least privilege is actually incredibly difficult to not just do at, at the point of setup but actually maintain right a lot of the times we're in crush periods we're in um you know periods where we've got so much going on and we don't want to block developers you never want to block a developer sometimes developers come to us and say i need i just need i just need access to this just give me like get the access and instead of going and going in aws this is just an example but instead of going in AWS, AWS and just saying, okay, give them, you know, rewrite full access to S3, right? There aren't policies really in place that are perfect around, you know, read only for this bucket and, you know, can't list or anything like that. You know, it's, you have to build that. And I think getting really good at templating out some of the things that we infer that we'll need, making sure that we are logging what we're doing. And then if there is uh, room to, to make that better in the future, making sure we log that so that we, when we do get to the cycles to come back and um, make things uh, more honed down or give people better, better levels of access or or, you know, instead of dealing with AWS, we, we abstract that away and give them a layer to work on. You build, find a pattern, then you build tooling to sort of like facilitate that pattern in a secure exactly. way. 100%. I think this is what we're talking about. Like when, when I, from an SRE standpoint, instead of SRE being like a, a support team or a standard like sysadmin team that just does tickets and gives people access to things in a general manner, we actually want to write software and build systems that can automate this process because we actually don't want to be in the, and like going back to blocking developers, we don't want to be in that critical path. We want a lot of that, which can be automated with, you know, a lot of tools like Okta and of course Teleport enable us to, to enable or uh, automate that chain. And with that, we can, we need to be more software centric, right? We need to write code to solve these problems. We need just people to stop solving these problems. And in my head, I go to, you know, because I, I've been doing this for as long as I have, and I remember what it was like back in 2007 and 2010 and 2013, in my head, I'm like, well, it's 2021. Like, how are we still doing this the manual old fashioned way? I, we should be making a lot more progress. And that's very difficult in every sort of organization based on your priority and needs. Uh, that's the way we look at it. And that's kind of maybe it's a unicorn and, ra- and rainbow sort of scenario that we're trying to get to, but that's that's what we, we strive for. So, And you sort of touched a bit on another focus is observability. How do you sort of integrate observability with security? Yeah, that's a fantastic question. We're actually, you know, of course, still looking for the best way to solve that. I think that's never really a uh, hundred percent. 
one of the things that we think about is that we need to, as a SRE team, let's say we need to be able to have that visibility. So let's optimize for getting us that visibility, whether it's one or more dashboards, whether it's looking at uh, streams. And of course, we're enabling like th- things like audit logs for Kubernetes. Like that's, of course, something we're doing. The next question is, where do those go? Are they secure? How long are we keeping them for? Who has access to see them, right? Like there's all of these questions around that. So at Carta, most of those uh, questions have been answered for the most part, Carta X, we're also working to figure out what the best strategy is. But beyond the SRE team, we actually try to give this idea of service ownership, service empowerment, and and confidence to developers so that they can manage their own applications. In that realm, we actually want to figure out ways to bubble up this information as it pertains to them and their services to them directly. We, We don't want to give them any more than they need to, but we want to make sure that they have everything that they need right? So that they can make those decisions. And a good example raised here is like, I've been in many organizations where cost is a concern at some point, right? Some quarter that year cost is a concern. The AWS bill becomes something that you you start honing in on. And, and what I've seen is leaders that will go and they'll do a review and then they'll start pinging people individually on Slack. That doesn't scale. Uh, and no one likes that. That's That's bad. If you think about a developer at a company, they don't want to just spend all the company's money doing whatever they're trying to do, playing around with their uh, their serverless.com you know, framework and, and spawning new infrastructure. They actually want to be cognizant of these. The problem is that they don't have the, the information, the data in front of them. So if in a dashboard for a particular service developer owns, if there's a graph showing them of the, their cost usage and the change in the past seven days, right? And they see like, something oh, crazy. I left this, like instance exactly, running. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, like they, they will be like, oh, wait a second. Like that's not quite right. And they will fix it. Like it's saying like, we don't actually need to be stripping out and giving them very, very tiny, like, oh, you can only look at these couple metrics. Like we actually want to give them everything we can in the the context of what they are trying to do and the, the services that they own. Right. And I think that uh, that actually is going to help them. It's going to help us and it's going to help the overall organization over time. I mean, this is another part of the developer experience, which crosses over to sort of DevOps is the packaging containerization. Where does pod policies or like mm-hmm. Docker, do you run like code scanners on containers and sort of whose responsibility is that? Is that the developers or is that the SRE teams? Yeah, that's a, that's a fantastic question. We're actually right in the midst of trying to figure that out. I am on the side that we should be, again, building the tools and leveraging things like uh, even Ambassador's uh, developer control plane that they've just started releasing. Um, There's uh, Spotify's Backstage offering, which is really, really cool. There is Upbound has Crossplane, which is uh, kind of a way to provision things a lot easier in kind of a Kubernetes native way with with controllers. These are the sorts of tools that myself and and the team were looking at and saying, well, this removes SRE entirely from being in that that critical path. At the end of the day, each repo has Helm config in it, right? And I think this is many organizations. There's there's configuration around how to deploy the service, uh, and there's going to be further configuration on you know Canary or feature flags or other pieces that are nuanced that the SRE team has brought into the mold and set up a system for, and then maybe set up a, a template or a, some docs or how you do that. Uh, do we do we tell developers, hey, you're it's your repo, it's your service, you are responsible for that code, right? Like that is code, just like anything else in your repo, you're responsible for it. In which case, they have to learn Helm, they have to learn why they should enable a pod security policy, everything in between, right? Is that is that fair? What we actually do in reality is um, we work very closely with the developers uh, to ascertain what are they trying to achieve 
And, you know, because so many of the services are very similar, uh, the SRE team has, for the most part, taken it upon their, themselves to copy in and, and change uh, that configuration as needed and get it to a point where it's, it's executable and, and things are working as expected for that service. Many of our services look, you know, pretty similar, not, not, not exactly the same. Um, every, every service has different needs though. And I think the SRE team, uh, work with developers, you know, even workshop things and, and, um, pair program to, to not just one up them, but to make sure that they are getting what they expect. So a lot of developers will be hands down programming, coding something, and they don't really know what the life cycle of their application looks like in a Kubernetes world. And that, that might be for a variety of things, not because they don't want to, but because they're not actively watching pods as they, they deploy and they're not looking at uh, health checks. They don't really know the difference between a readiness and a liveness probe, right? Like they, nor should they really need to, but that can cause surprises later on. So I think being right now, what we try to do is educate. I'd say I just did a session on, you know, educating Kubernetes, just like a one-on-one, very introductory. Uh, I had lots of questions and 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 help people one up their knowledge because everyone's at a different point. I think so education is, is one. I think two is very much working hand in hand with them. Uh, and that's actually better for us as a team because we learn their needs and what the services that make up our platform you know are doing right and so we, we learn those those fundamentals um the systems that they interact with the most their expectations for what their services should be able to do and how the overall platform should work and actually as a SRE team this is not just you build systems build kubernetes clusters and then you your hands off like you need to actually know what are we trying to solve here what are what is the customer experience like here what what are, what are we what is the platform we're trying to build and i think that gives us a great insight into that talked about running applications what about sort of the data layer and databases. How do you manage those? Yeah, I hate this topic. So thank you for asking. <laughs> databases are, are, are so much fun. Um, you know, I think like most companies, we're, we're generally using the cloud uh, offerings in terms of databases. I think uh, the big thing when I think about databases is how do we handle database, uh, you know, demo data or, you know, example, you know, QA data in those environments, right? So we we obviously have to be very careful with production data, right? We actually don't really want to use production data if we, if we don't have to. The next thing is like, how do we have dumps of data that we can enable people to use? We can make it useful for what they're trying to achieve, right? We have developers that will make some changes in their code and then they actually need to throw in a, a few different rows or add some columns or add some tables to test some of their changes. So how do they do that, not just on their laptop, but then in an environment where there's many other services and the entirety of the platform is deployed there and they can test their those changes. What is the, the instrumentation that we use to make that happen? The, the big thing is we actually, I know we have an internal working group. The SRE team is very much involved in that because while we aren't the ones using the databases, we want to be very, very in the, in the kind of critical path of how, how is our data being used and what can we do to move data around and handle data just like it's anything, just like a container or just like any other resource, right? And so when you talk about demo data, I, I think about it as like containers, like it's it's just a, a ball of data, right? And it, we can move that data around, it's portable, we can load it on things. Maybe we use init containers to help load that for you automatically on your laptop, right? And you can, you can start at a base layer of, of data to use with your application or a set of applications that you're testing. We think about it in the context of in financial services, this is something I've come to realize in, in a very short period of time. Many organizations, actually every organization I've been a part of, there's a, a concept of, of a you know devastating production, and there might be some nuance there, QA or um, you know a, a data cluster, whatever whatever it might be. But that is the general pattern, and 
I think when you when you look at that, most environments, the dev and the staging are very, very different. And there's nothing quite like prod. And that's exactly the case here as yeah. well. And that's because you're never going to get anything exactly like prod. That's just that's it. It's a it's a, a fallacy. Right. <laughs> so um, I think that the next best thing is to zoom into the developer experience and how we actually make those environments uh, as useful as possible as early on in the process. Right. And so we're already looking into and building our, our uh, strategy for local development, uh, remote development, hybrid development, virtual clusters um, and, you know, ephemeral environments. Part of the the kind of the the pipeline, the CI/CD pipeline. When someone pushes a PR, right? Can they create an environment that many people have access to? And of course, access, you know, security, right? Like there's there's those components, but it's more about giving the autonomy and the trust to our developers while maintaining those strongly held guardrails, but not in a, a negative, condescending. You can't do this because we're scared you're going to screw it up. Right. But in a this is, you know, a regulatory need yeah. or, you know, again, we're all working toward the same goal <laughs> and and remembering that and working with people to solve for all of those goals is really important. We have many working groups on that premise that we just want to have these wider discussions, learn what people's pain points are and help them understand what we're facing as well. And I think when we have those open discussions and, and provide that transparency uh, team to team, leader to team, leader to leader, you know, whatever it might be, it just has helped us so much. I was kind of interested about your remote v local development. And I know GitHub came out last week saying that they're moving the majority of GitHub developers mm -hmm. to the cloud and much larger machines. What's your sort of thought process internally about local v remote development? Yeah, I actually I remember my leader was sharing that uh, in our Slack. We we didn't there wasn't much discussion on it. I think that's not something that surprises me. I think part of that's a little bit of the the marketing side as well. I actually do think you know eating your own dog food as a company is incredibly important. So I I love GitHub for doing that, and I I think CodeSpace is a, is actually a really powerful platform. I think being able to abstract away the repetitive pieces of setting up the development environments across different sorts of you know clients you know i've got a macbook someone might have a windows machine or linux i think that actually helps from that perspective it keeps things unified um, it helps one developer work with another another developer even if they've never worked together before it helps in all of those cases what i will say is I don't think that, uh, you know, we should be the ones in when I say we, maybe the SRE team or even the engineering organization should say, hey, developer, you need to use this. Hey, engineer, this is the tool that you need to use in cases where it's the the more like the mechanical things, right? The, the just writing of the code and the like, like I, I would never tell a developer they have to use PyCharm. Like which IDA? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They, they you, you never like that's it doesn't matter. Like in the scheme of everything at the company. The, the thing a developer is using on their laptop to, um, you know, whatever the linting tool they're using, like that doesn't really matter too much, right? So long as they get the result that we're all looking for that, you know, runs in the CICD pipeline, right? Like I've talked with a lot of our developers and this is so we, we have a developer experience working group, actually, that I uh, that I started. We have discussions about these things because I want to know, you know, in every org I've been to, there's actually kind of an aura of how developers work. And you just have to talk to them. You just have to, you know, work with them. Um, you know, do some some code share sessions and, and Zoom and and learn what their workflow is. And I, we actually have some great developers who love running their own CentOS VM, and they do a bunch of things in there. And you know what? That's fine. I actually would rather them do that. And me just say, and we actually did this recently. We're honing in on what we want our development environments to look like. I actually told them that what we're thinking is 
meet us in the middle. We're going to we're going to provide you the way to deploy your services locally. We're going to we're going to solve for that. What I need you to solve for is running Kubernetes locally. Get it get Kubernetes running on your laptop. I don't care how you do that. You can run MicroKates, MiniKube, K3D, you know, there's a ton of different ways you can do your CentOS VM, you can do it manually the hard way. I don't care, but give me a Kubernetes cluster and we will help get your uh, your services or instrument them so that they can be deployed in a local uh, context. You just have to have the conversations, you have to have the understanding. And I think when you come in heavy handed, that's a surefire way to get people really not understanding why you're forcing them into a, a, a position of doing something that isn't natural to them. I think everyone has a way they work. Uh, I know I do. Uh, if someone came and told me that, you know, they wanted me to use a different, you know, terminal emulator, I'd, I'd be a little bit annoyed and perturbed. Right? Right? So think about the things that matter in your organization and think about the areas that you really should expend your effort uh, discussing, putting in policy and, and regulation, I guess, if you will. Do you have any other topics that have come to the developer experience working group? Working groups to me are a forum for open, lively, transparent discussion, real, I call it heart to heart discussion, right? This is where we need to be real. This is not a, you know, yeah, I think I can do it kind of, this is a, like, if you want to treat it as a session to just kind of get everything out there in the open, because something you're thinking of, you know, I, I as an engineer, I might be having this thing where I don't understand why our VPN is like this. And it, it's giving me so many issues with connectivity and it's just, it's terrible. You're not the only one having that thing. And what I find is I actually ask a dumb, dumb questions. I guess this is some of the dumbest questions ever. Right. And the reason I do that is because I, again, I like to understand from that that kind of foundational level, what's going on. And I like to hear other people explain it too. And in doing that, I actually learn a lot from that. And the other reason is because a lot of the times other people have similar questions. There's so much that we do as engineers. There's so many different tools and systems now and processes. And you know, there's so much time we spend in Slack. It's hard to keep your mind kind of 100% in tune to every initiative, every project, every reasoning. Um, and, and so I think, talking about these things openly. And I think, um, you know, having, we don't have too many meetings. It's not like something that's like every week uh, that we do, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll actually raise discussion in our, our Slack channel. I'll say, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot lately. I've seen some areas, here's some links to what I've been thinking about. And we'll just have some, some lighthearted maybe discussion in, in a Slack thread. And then I'll actually say, you know what, this is actually like, we have something we can, we focused on. We've, we've, so beyond fixing the VPN, we've actually zoomed in on a few things that might actually work for what we're trying to do. And let's have a 30 minute and let's just like throw some things around because you've got context, you've got perspective and I've got my feeling on it. Right. And maybe that's a little more emotional at first, but let's just have a general discussion. And almost every time we come out of those meetings and I have three pages of notes beyond that, we have an action plan that we can kind of go and, and talk with leadership about. And more so me being an SRE engineer, I can actually provide tangible research or, you know, put cards into JIRA where I, I can actually figure out, you know, let's look at this spike and see see what, what happened. And that's kind of how teleport came to be, I think. Uh, we had to solve for access. And, you know, we're, we're not 100% there. It's not perfect. We're not using teleport for every single thing yet. Um, but uh, we we figured out what we wanted. And, you know, zero trust was really important to us, something that was flexible, auditability. Like, we figured out what those things are that matter to us. One of the next steps after that is writing a proposal or a project initiative document, uh, getting people to rally kind of around that for a few weeks uh, and figuring out what the next step is. And, and that that helps us get our thoughts out there. But it, there's, there's something to be said about writing something versus just vocally talking 
talking about it, right? There's a, a dense, uh, more spirited level of understanding that you actually have to have and uh, optimism you have to have for that thing that you're proposing when you write about it. I mean, as I imagine for teleport, mm -hmm. the technology isn't really the problem. There's multiple ways to solve it. But the real problem is you have all these people who you're trying to onboard. Where's the central source of identity? And then when someone leaves, how do you know that like Bob's... Like you said, the technology is not really that difficult. Honestly, a lot of it is just taking steps out of the process so that we do less. We have to worry about it less. Um, you know, I've been at organizations where they manage access entirely themselves in a very manual way. And it's it's actually crushing to engineer. Like people are like, oh, I don't want to deal with this anymore. The, they, it's just so much of their day gets spent doing this manual labor. I think something Teleport does, I've, I've heard this quote before in the kind of startup realm, you know, you you don't actually sell something and, and do very well with something that adds another step in someone's process. You actually, where you add the most value is removing extra steps, right? And making things more automated. Um, and in a lot of realms, not every realm, but in a, a lot of the sort of, you know, this is going to the, the experience, the UX, right? And I think that is equally true in technology. That is equally true in the day-to-day -day operations of a company, an engineer, the things they have to deal with. And especially, and this is why I love developer experience, I think that developers are by default doing way too much that is not coding and we hire them to code. Uh, let, let them code, right? And get the other stuff out of their way. So One topic that often comes up is dealing with uh, secrets. I'm sort of interested, what's your thoughts on sort of general secret management, uh, Carter? I think secrets is a, is a difficult one because there's so much to think about if you really want to deep dive that. Vault's actually incredibly, not not tricky, but it's it's dense for sure. It's not something that's just you whip up in a day and you're, everything's managed for you, right? You're 100% you're secure, right? There's so much to think about. I think yeah. um, Vault does a great job of it. I think there's other solutions. I know there's um, external secrets. Um, there is SOPs from Mozilla, <laughs> which is you're, you're basically using your client and you're, you're encrypting before it gets to a repo and you, you, that's just how you manage things. There's, there's other considerations too of where those secrets are going kubernetes still in etcd the default is that those are just plain text in etcd right so i think you have to think about you know when, when i think about secrets um i think about obviously user experience because the users are the ones creating the secrets or managing those secrets these the kind of long-term storage where they're going to be and this you know some of the trail you know we've had stuff where it's like just you know throw it in like one password or, or whatever uh, or we'll use keybase etc well do we unify on one thing do we give people more flexibility yeah. so where is the secret going and how are people sharing it and then the other side of that is the, the whole life cycle of the secret so if i you know if we move away from a pets model for our kubernetes cluster we go to let's say a cattle model and we have everything declarative what does it look like when I go and spawn new environments? And when I'm an SRE engineer, I don't know every nuanced secret that um, a developer might have for their service. I expect that to be already defined, you know, with their helm or whatever configuration that they that they have. Um, I can't really worry about that. That's a little bit like so. So we have to build uh, a set of abstractions or other software pieces or components that can handle that uh, in a more of an automated fashion. I think Vault's a great solution. I don't think there is a super amazing, best, low effort solution out there necessarily. I think a lot of this is how, what size is your organization? How important is security to you? Because I, I know for a fact, many companies are just, secrets are sorting GitHub. And, and maybe that's a, a startup that's, you know, 20 people, um, you know, hopefully not. Like that's, I'm not saying you should be doing that, but that's sometimes the reality, right? You can't be 100% perfect at everything. Yeah. You have to pick your battles. I say, Focus on you know what is security 
to you? How do you instrument security? Um, what does reviewing security look like, right? Do you actually have any standards you need to meet? Uh, do you have an uh, external company coming and reviewing or doing pen testing for you? Uh, you know, what, what is that like? And then the other big one is how do your employees um, both interact and share secrets? Because at some point, secrets might be needed, you know, you might need to share them. Do you want them uploading them in Slack? Is that, is that a good idea? Um, maybe it is. Maybe you say, you know, Slack is you know, trustworthy. We've signed the contract with them. We've reviewed their security. You know, you see, you have to consider these pieces. Now, obviously, in financial services, we have a very strong InfoSec presence. This is something I would urge many teams to do is a lot of the time I've seen SRE be receive requests from a security team and the request is like you have to do this or this has to be met and it's there's no collaboration it's more of a one-way uh sort of sort of model i don't i don't think that scales and that's not going to work in a a modern cloud native world if you want to keep moving if you want to keep growing if you want to keep scaling your your platform and your users you have to work with security one-on-one so i i mean i meet with our our head of security every couple weeks we're talking in slack constantly we're working on you know he's got some ideas around you know let's let's look at splunk or cloudflare or this or that and i will definitely work with them and say okay from an sre standpoint here's what i'm seeing here's what works here's um what we need to consider and he he loves that feedback and I love his feedback on, hey, we're going to do this to work on hardening our, our Kubernetes clusters or we're going to look at Sysdig or we're going to look at some of these other solutions to solve for this problem. So it's very problem oriented as well. We don't we don't just do security to tick uh, the checkboxes. You bring security in early. So 100 percent. Yeah, it, you have to work from the ground level up. Uh, you can't just work whenever you feel whenever it feels like it's the right time to send that email that, that you know, there's a, this requirement we need. Yeah, we've reached right next people so. we can no longer use secrets and whatever carter has i mean you have lots of job openings you sort of like pitched already uh, lots in information security what do you look for in new hires and sort of how do you approach hiring um new teammates this has been very iterative for us um we're trying to learn and we actually used to do live coding interviews we don't do that anymore we do like a, a take-home model that's one of the major things that that changed re- very recently um and our, our cto uh, has a lot to say on that topic we have uh my my good uh friend a, a leader at carta navid has uh some blog posts on how um you know engineering talent and the way you search for it is very very broken I think what happened is that the recruiting model we tried to apply to every every sort of type of developer or engineer um, in technology, right? We tried to just say like, let's go through and do the normal things, and then let's throw in a live coding exercise as well. I don't think that scales, however. So th- there's there's kind of a few points of this. It's you know what scales, right? You know how many people from our team actually need to be involved in that interview because interviews are actually taxing. There's a research portion, there's doing the actual interview, and then there's feedback, right? They're they're actually pretty time consuming. So how many people need to actually be involved? How much signal to noise are we getting as early as possible? So this is one where we actually were getting very little signal until the third person talk to them, the third person in the chain, let's say. Um, and so how do we optimize for more signal earlier on? And, you know, you don't want to expend too more. It, it, it's double-sided. Like it's a double-edged sword. You're never going to get it perfectly right. But you also, you don't want to give somebody a take-home from the second person they've talked to. And the take-home is an eight-hour take-home. Because how invested really are they in your in, in joining your organization when they've only talked to two people? And the one was the HR uh, you know leader and the other one was the uh, hiring manager, right? Like that's, I'm not very invested. I don't know anything 
anything about the team. I don't know anything about the day to day. I don't know anything about the people I'm going to be working with. I don't. I really don't know anything. Yeah. Then you have an eight hour test. Exactly. Yeah. So so how what why would I spend eight hours on this take home test? So being cognizant of that, and we're we're not doing that uh, now. I think we try to minimize them two to three hours, something relatively simple. Sometimes it's not even really coding as much as it is, as it is the soft skills. And and I'm sure you've heard this a lot where uh, you can't really teach soft skills as well as you can teach hard skills. We don't focus as much as hard skills earlier on. The hard skills are something that we relatively like infer in further discussions for the most part. And again, I'm I'm talking about like how we've done some interviews. We many are very different depending on who we're bringing in and depending on, you know, Carta or Carta X and the type of team, like every team is doing it slightly differently, uh, which is fantastic. I think those those tenants and those principles are kind of the way we um, we think about it. I'll, I'll I've been quoted telling people that in the first couple of minutes of talking to someone, I have a decent idea of if we're going to bring them in. Because by the time I talk to them, I'm the third, fourth, or, or fifth person talking to them. There's someone that's going to be on my team. There's there's multiple dimensions to that. Do they seem like someone that I would love to work with? Um, do they seem like someone who is driven and ready to learn? Um, and are they? do they have the right level of assertiveness where they actually can be super beneficial and they, they also can get their ideas, get project proposals and really lend to the, the discussions in a lively um, and, and serious way? Because, you know, there's a lot of things mentally and emotionally that um, our jobs put on us. Right. And, um, you know, we, we want someone who can handle that stuff and, and not just kind of be in the background. We'll be OK with someone who's a little bit less on the hard skills and in more so incredibly strong on some of the soft skills because like I said a lot of that can be taught and if they're driven enough that shows us that they are kind of ready to go and and ready to take uh, something they're not very used to or not very comfortable with. And so for people who are quite early in their careers maybe just out of college do you have any tips for how to sort of get into DevOps or SRE? Um, I think I was thinking about this the other day is you know I I try to think about like my mindset when I was looking for a a job out of college and when I was looking to get into DevOps um, and the 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 way things looked back then were definitely different than now right so you've got SRE there is such a big focus SRE didn't exist back in that that day it was you're still getting uh, and you still have them now is you know DevOps engineer right yeah exactly Uh, and I think. Yeah, that's that's a hard one because, you know, obviously the the landscape has changed. You have to look at, um, you know, if I was that age again and and I could go back and tell myself a few things, maybe there's a lot of things that seem like a waste of time. And there's a lot of things that don't directly seem like they plug into you maybe making a lot of money or getting the title you want or getting the right amount of compensation that you want. Something that I wish I would have been more privy to is this idea of having to do things hard for a period of time because you grow as a person, as an individual. And it's not just about growing technically, right? And being able to, to code your way out of anything or, or learning the latest, uh, you know, hype programming language or whatever it is. It's not about that at all. It's actually about more of a human piece. Um, you're going to have to endure and you're going to have to build relationships and you're going to have to be shut down many, many times uh, one of the, the worst things that can happen when you're younger is that you get a whole bunch of success and you you get win after win after win because if you've never failed. So when you do fail later on in your career, it's actually harder to get back up. You know, I'll say I had a very interesting background. You know, I, I went and started a company at, at 25 or at least tried to ended up getting sued doing that um, and went through a lot of different periods, a lot of different phases um, in my 20s. 
those things were all incredibly risky and I definitely don't, don't worry. My father did a great job of yelling at me about why I was doing X, Y, and Z. But I think all of those things, and I'm, I'm glad I did all those things. And I actually, I hate my twenties. I feel like I wasted them. But uh, when I think about it, actually a lot of what I've learned and the reason that I've gotten to where I am right now is because I, I had to go through and I had to endure so much uh, different wide varieties of emotions, um, mental conditions, um, and, and just trying to make things happen. Um, you know, having that belief at the end of the day, that kind of methodology or philosophy of thinking kept me focused. So maintaining focus, trying new things, taking risks, because you're, you're young and, and you need to learn these things and failing and, and learning that failure is failure is a natural part of living. And you actually learn more from failing than you do winning all the time. So I, I'd say that's and, and maybe it's a little bit deeper than you were looking for in the DevOps space. Sorry, in the, in the DevOps space, learning everything you can, soaking everything you can, talking to as many people as possible, uh, getting acquainted with uh, the, the major figures on, on Twitter in the in the community. I think, you know, we're seeing both in in our world, cloud native and in, you know, cryptocurrency, right? The community is a, a huge thing. Relationships, learning um, about different sorts of people and the things that they're working on and just trying so many different things. Uh, you'll you'll definitely be bound to like understand DevOps, understand why it's it's such a big deal for a lot of companies, how they are trying to, uh, you know, ascertain what that means for them and how you can fit in, in the mold there. So that's a great answer. Thanks for going deep in that. And so when do you, you know, obviously Kubernetes is a CNCF project, cloud native, when you're looking to sort of bring in technology, what makes you decide sort of the, should you use a CNCF project or should you build or buy it? Like what's your sort of thought process? That's a fantastic question. Um, I am, uh, I'll, I'll get this out there. I personally think that there's so much that we should abstract away that if we have the money and uh, it makes sense, uh, you know, logistically, we should try to use um, third party vendors. A lot of the time, a good example of this, uh, I guess, and my team's going to hate me for saying this is uh, I think that using like Datadog or New Relic or some, something in terms of observability um, is one of the best things that you can do uh, because they are so good at it and the controls and the method by which you can hone and tune dashboards or bring in custom metrics or even scale on any metric you want in Kubernetes. Uh, I think they've done such a good job of making it feel like you're in control and you can do whatever it is you need to do. You've got tons of flexibility there. I think those those things pay for themselves. Um, and I will say that in some some parts of, of Carta, we do run things ourselves. You know, let's stay on observability. We, we run uh, Prometheus, Grafana. We're looking into Loki. We do some gray log. Like we're running those things ourselves in the cluster that the, these systems are, are monitoring and watching for. Um, and in doing so, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of it is that's what was there. We don't really have time to change it right now. We have a plan. Let's just make sure it's delivering the value and, and the, the needs that we have. Um, and, and so that's, that's the big part of it. And, and, you know, making a change like that, it, you know, when we, when we talk to a vendor and we start to figure out the security, the mm -hmm. compliance pieces, um, you know, the, the long-term relationship, that's a lot of work. That's non-trivial, right? And so our leaders are very, very good to come to us and say, do we really need this thing? Is this going to make a, an incredible amount of value? Because if it is, we, you know, if we sell it, and that's why we like to write project proposals and like to rally around kind of these discussions on, you know, 
uh, everyone having some a little bit of input, right? Everyone having some loosely held opinions, but but providing some good input. We can help everyone understand the reason, the core reasons for doing this thing that that are going to matter for the company long term. So you know, of course, if we say yes, this data dog uh, or new relic or this third party vendor is going to provide us so much massive value, then we'll go through the work and we will build the relationship with them, or you know, we'll trial or evaluate some other options as well, right? You know. I, I we're not turned off to it at all. And I think it's really important that we stay on this idea of what's out there in the totality. You know, there's those kind of this idea of local maximum and, and global maximums. And I don't want us to ever be in a, in a sense of, well, in our circles, like this is this is the right solution. And, you know, I want us to always be exploring and, and trialing out uh, new options out there. You know, I want us to understand and have a, a intimate relationship with what the possible global options are because there's there's always more options than you're seeing in front of you always we have to work together to uh really uh drill down and figure out what works best for us as a team not just as mario not just as the s3 team but if we take on datadog and kind of as, right right what do the developers get out of it what does the qa team get out of it right can yeah. they you know so it's a very multifaceted there's lots lots of stakeholders which we can get into is tricky but yeah you obviously spend a lot of time in the cloud native community are there any security products under the cncf that you recommend checking out uh, there's a ton i think the 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 hotness right now is open policy agent uh which we're very much looking into i think the the main company with that is uh styra which is doing uh some really great work i i know a few people that uh that work there that uh they they believe that there's it's like the kind of this next next chapter in how we manage workloads and being carta like we really like what they offer um i think sysdig uh felco you know, a lot of these things are not like the best thing ever. They're not perfect, um, but they really, in terms of intelligence, in terms of us, you know, making sure we are are feeling good about uh, the things that we install and that we have in our infrastructure um, and that we understand. I think, you know, Sysdig's doing a great job. Um, I know Spiffy, uh, we haven't really looked at, into Spiffy, but there's there's a lot offering uh, there as well. Um, I have not actually looked at the CNCF landscape, the huge, uh, you know, image document with all the it's killer i have not looked at it and i've not been um super in tune with everything in the in the security space i'm actually going to load it up right now because i'm very i'm very interested in some of the new things and it's probably going to crash my browser because it's so freaking massive the those those are some of the 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 key um areas that we're looking at sysdig is going to provide a lot of uh, a lot of help there i think aqua security as well is doing some great things around inherently having a secure a security built kind of built into your pipelines as well uh, and and so you know we're looking at that uh, orca is another one um, I know we've been reviewing uh, them as well I'm not sure if we're actively using them yet so how do we uh, how do we, uh, how does onboarding look like when you come in and you you need access to things how do we kind of inherently make sure you're getting the access you need uh, as well a few others in here that uh, I think Sneak is definitely, I mean, I've heard great things all around. They, there's a podcast with, um, I think, their, their founder, um, and I think they've got a, a great way of approaching like for container oh, security. Oh yeah, I, th- I think they've got a great way. I know. I, th- I think it's closed source, um, but either way, they've still got a great, a great offering. We're looking into what they can offer us there, um, and then you've got some, some other more maybe let's say like open source uh, utility 
tooling, if you will, or scripts that you can run that help you. And I, I think Fairwinds Ops, uh, I have to say, we just did a, uh, <laughs> a clustered uh, competition where Carta engineers versed uh, the Fairwinds engineers on breaking clusters. And they, I think they killed us. <laughs> but they have a Polaris and, and Pluto as well, which they're helping. Again, this is you know, our back lookup, I think, is from them as well. They're helping surface data. They're, they're at least providing you a way like, here, run this binary against your cluster. And here, here's just a bunch of information. And, you know, is it, is it perfect? Does it take that information and auto remediate things for you and, you know, 100% solve the problem so you don't have to do anything? Not exactly. Is it a major step in the, the right direction and giving you more intelligence? Absolutely. Like it's, it's something that we use actively. And we know that if we need to review, we have the tools we can do to review. If, if anyone else, you know, is, is looking at this, the, the CNCF interactive landscape, there's a lot of things and you're never going to account for all of them. But I think this is a great starting point if you're just looking at what's out there. I know there's also the awesome list on uh, GitHub. Uh, there, I think there's an awesome Kubernetes list as well. Like mm-hmm. there, there's yeah. a lot of great facilities, uh, tools, articles, things like that, resources that you can use to get a sense of what's out there and what you uh well, you know, every organization is different. Some people, Polaris and RBAC managers, all they need. Some people, they're ready for SNCC and, and they're ready for Aqua and their other, you know, QBench. Um, but again, I think you have to figure out what your size is, what matters to you, what you need to expend effort on and naturally, you know, try these things. It's very incremental. Well, as we sort of come to wrap this up, do you have any closing sort of tips keeping companies secure? I think security has to be something that is, I don't want to say everybody's problem, but it kind of is. Like, I think you, you're you going to have a security team and they are going to do what they need to do to make sure that the the perimeter and the security boundaries and, and guardrails and things are in place, are being considered for. The thing that I just worry about is that so many people infer security as just this heavy handed, you know, screw you, you have to listen to us. And I just, I... Everyone needs to understand if, you know, if you're a security engineer listening to this um, or if you're an SRE or if you're just a developer, you know, maybe a product person, security is it's something that it's the company's problem. And, you know, you work for the company, you are a representative of, of that company and to offer the services or product that you are trying to you know, offer, y- your company is saying security is important to us. And by having that InfoSec team, by having these tools being brought in, right, by using these third-party platforms, by making you sign into Okta every day, like it's it's part of an initiative. It helps everybody stay safer at every juncture. I I have a trip to Chicago this weekend with some, some really good family friends, and I just know they're going to ask me about password managers. Something I was thinking about last night is, because, sorry, password managers just always comes up, and most people are still using the same password with a few, like they'll use the same core password, and they'll just add like the service name next to it, like Google email, <laughs> and then they're the, the core password they use. But I, I just always get those sorts of, of questions, of course, around family. And th- I was thinking about this last night, you know, the things that I remember doing from a security standpoint, just for my own, like using a computer 10 years ago are so different from now, right? I mean, I could have never dreamed that we'd have SSO like Okta, right? With two-factor authentication, you know, going to my iPhone. Like I just, it, it's just crazy. And the, the reason is because the, the stakes have changed. The internet is a different place than it was 10 years ago, and it's going to keep transforming. And, you know, we have to do these things to keep not just ourselves, but everyone secure. And your company, for the most part, they're not doing this to make your life a living hell. They're doing this either because there's regulation, there's a, a kind of a duty to their customers. And they want to be able to say, you know, maybe it is kind of checkboxes or some marketing to say that they've got 
something we're at a certain level but those 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 visibility pieces matter and and the third part though is they they do actually care about everybody in their ecosystem right in the cardo ecosystem it's not just me i'm not just because i'm an employee you know i get active but like you know we want you ben to feel comfortable that you know anything you're doing on Carta or with Carta or reading about or interacting with Carta is an amazing experience. And in that experience inbuilt is a focus on security. And you should be able to, to kind of um, comprehend that in just using our platform. That's, and I think that's a very healthy mentality. Um, I've been a part of companies that have had security breaches. <laughs> you can do some Googling. It's not fun at all. And it's actually, not even the employees. It's just it's it's not terrible from a like oh we have to remediate this. It's terrible because it's like we let down our team. Uh, our team being everybody, our customers, the people we yeah. work next to every day, everybody, the it, our investors. Like like we let people down. You know. So uh, I'll end with this: uh, security is not anymore just something we farm out. It's not something we consult about. It's not something that we just go through the motions anymore. It is something that we have to fundamentally, um, realistically consider at every layer of whatever we're trying to do. And if we just be open, transparent, communicative, and work with people, work together, do so much. That's a great ending. All right. Thank you, Mario. Thank you for your time today. Thanks so much, Ben. This was so much fun. Uh, Good luck to you and the Teleport team. Love the podcast. Thank you so much. This podcast was created by Teleport. Teleport allows engineers and security professionals to unified access for SSH servers, Kubernetes clusters, web applications and databases across all environments. To learn more, visit us at goteleport.com.